Well, welcome back to Elk Week on the Hunt Back Country podcast. In the previous episodes, we've talked about finding elk, and we've talked about hunting quiet elk and how to close the distance. But when all of that comes together and you actually get an opportunity, you get that elk in bow range, let's call it, how do you then execute? So like, what are the things that helped all these guys go from just being an elk hunter to actually killing elk and filling tags more consistently? If you're fortunate enough to get within bow range of an elk, there's so many things that still have to go right for a shot to happen. And some of that's on the elk, some of that's on us, some of that's nerves. There's all kinds of variables. But newer hunters can make mistakes in those last moments and don't capitalize on opportunities. And so we want to talk about making the most of all the opportunities. So I think a big thing that comes up is just that um, that elk and bow range and how do you capitalize on that. But clearly there's other ways that we can, we can mess this up as well, Steve. You've mentioned in the past, even in the last episode, you get that elk within 50 yards, you're pretty confident in making something happen. So you're willing to move, you're willing to find a shooting lane, you're willing to make that shot opportunity happen. So I have a feeling that for you, that's something you've learned the hard way over the years is to to really make that shot happen. Anything else that comes to mind and just making the most of opportunities when they present themselves? You know, I think... Yeah, that is obviously the critical, the culmination of everything, right? And it is so disheartening when that goes wrong. Like if you put all this work and effort into it. And, and so I remember early, uh, you know, when I was like 18 and we just started bow hunting, we kind of, for the first three, four years there, basically it was like, I'm going to hunt hard all September, you know, every weekend, all September, and I'm going to get one opportunity. That was kind of what it averaged out to be. And you either capitalized or you didn't. Uh, and, and maybe that's what kind of drove me to like really be aggressive on those moments when they get in close and make something happen. Um, so it's the culmination of, of all, all your shooting practice, um, all your prep, right. It's just all coming to that. And so I, I say it's going to start with shooting and shooting at home a lot in the summer, um, which I, this year is, a, I'm not doing at all. Terrible example. Um, and one thing, you know, I know I remember Russ Meyer talking about this on the last series that we did about visualization. And I think that's really, really critical. And I do that up until the moment the arrow releases the bow. So do that in practice at home. I, I will like, I'll have, you know, I really like to shoot 3d targets instead of just a foam block, you know, with an orange dot on it, just to get that image of an animal inside of your peep sight. And I try to um, psych myself up like I'll, I'll literally like, in my head say it's usually a deer. So I'm like, OK, this is a 200 inch deer. You stand there at 55 yards. I visualize being in the mountains, that buck underneath a tree after he just stood up. I, I try to really, you know, play pretend here, right, like my two year old daughter does and put myself into that situation and, and be like this. I've got one shot to make a perfect shot. I got to make this happen. And I, and I do that a lot in practice. So I, I think that combined with maybe um do three local 3d shoots anything to kind of put pressure on yourself to get used to that scenario because there's a lot of guys who you know flat out you know get buck fever doesn't matter how old you are how experienced you are there's a lot of guys who would be very successful elk hunters if it was not for messing up a shot inside of 50 yards you know they they just completely miss or they hit them back or high or whatever. I mean, you hear that story over and over and over again. And it's frankly, you know, 99% of the time going to be your fault. 
because uh, you rushed the shot, made a poor shot, whatever. So practice your shooting as best as possible. Put yourself in scenarios where you put pressure on yourself. Um, and then and then going back to the visualization, as an elk's coming in, I am basically like using my peripheral and scanning out every single shooting lane. I, even prior to them coming in, your rangefinders in your pocket or on your albino harness or whatever, you need to be ranging and picking out, well, okay, he could come here, he could come here, I have a shot opportunity there. Um, and then as he's coming in, you're just kind of, you know, second by second playing that all out of, okay, if he goes left, I'm going to have a shot here. If he goes right, I'm going to have a shot there. And literally, I'm not, I'm, as I'm saying that, I'm visualizing the elk standing in that shooting lane and me shooting it, right? Um, and so I think that plays a really critical role in that when the time and the opportunity does come, it's it's like you've seen this before, you've been there before, and, and it becomes a little bit more automatic. Yeah, love it. Great stuff. Let's kick off the roundtable here with Dan Staten and hear how he makes the most of opportunities. Elk hunting to me is a 365 pursuit. That's what elk shape's all about is not being in elk shape during September only, but being in elk shape year round and so that you can enjoy your hunt a lot more. So being in shape is going to not only elevate your game, but your attitude. And there's only two things you can control on an elk hunt, and that is your effort and that is your attitude. And so if you're hunting with people that don't want to put the effort in every second of the hunt, fire them. If their attitude, which they can control, is negative or just not in a not an attitude that is conducive to enjoying every second and making sure that we don't squander any opportunity, fire them. So surround yourself with people that are like-minded, people that trained year-round, people that didn't just start putting broadheads on their arrows a week before the hunt, people that already had their bow tuned and they're, re- they're getting the reps in throughout the year. These are the guys and gals that you want to be around. These are the folks that are going to be successful consistently versus one-hit wonders or every three years they get an elk or whatever. So if you, got, you want to have elk meat in your freezer every year, you have to stay in shape you have to stay sharp mentally, do things that suck year-round, and build mental toughness, and surround yourself with a core group of people that are just like you, that inspire you, and you inspire them, iron sharpening iron. As far as like, what, what's the deal breaker when it comes to closing the deal on, on being successful, and it is definitely the, the ability to take advantage of every opportunity and play Whatever cards you have, whatever hand you've been dealt, you play it to the best of its ability. And I will give you an example of, I can think of just one in the last five years where I still regret. And it was my first time hunting um, Arizona. And it was 2016. We were on day seven and we hiked into a huge network of canyons. And at the head end, I made it up there gosh, probably an hour before dark. And I was glassing out and I was seeing all these bulls way out and they were too far to get to. And I was just, you know, kind of wrapping up my day. I had maybe 30 minutes of daylight and I look straight below me 
and there's a nice six. There's a nice six point. He's, uh, you know, broke off a little, but man, he's well over 300, and he's straight below me in the bottom. And the wind is really predictable, which it rarely is in those canyons. And I talked myself out of going out after him. I said, "Dude, I don't even know if you can get down there in time, and it's just not worth it because chances are you're going to make it all the way down there, and it's going to be too dark, and then you're going to have to hike." at least 1500 feet up out of there and you're not going to get back to camp till eight. It's just going to, you know, and so I didn't do it, but Mark, I had enough time. I could have gone down there and I didn't kill an elk on that hunt. And I can't tell you whether or not I would have killed that bull because I didn't try and regret can stick with you for the rest of the off season. And it's a long off season. So when you're at your, when you're at your worst, when you're the most tired or the most discouraged and you see a potential opportunity, let's not have a conversation with ourselves. Let's go ahead and just go. Just go for it and deal with the consequences later. Who knows? I probably, looking back, I think I could have got that bull. And I could have been elbow deep in elk meat, but I didn't try. I didn't go after him. And I'm in good shape. I just, I got soft and I talked myself out of it. So, don't do that. Don't be like Dan in 2016 and who had to basically wait a couple more years to go back to that area and get a bull. So I would say making the most of every opportunity. And once you're like, you know, I would say this is probably like the most important thing I'm going to say on this topic is when you're hunting your ass off and it's like day three, I believe that's going to be your, your, your tipping point in your hunt where you're either going to like think about going back to camp or staying in your sleeping bag. When, you, when you're hunting and putting on 10 plus miles a day with a pack covering ground and you haven't killed an elk yet, after three days, everybody's going to kind of have that tipping point where you're going to be like, okay, that was a warm up and now it's time to get serious. Or you're going to be like, man, that was a workout. I got to take a rest day or, or I got to chill a little bit or not go after that bugle the last hour of daylight. Don't do that hunt every day as hard as possible, and sleep in October. And here is Corey Jacobson. Man, that's a... <laughs> I know, again, a, deep, a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a deep question. We uh, we did a live Q&A this past weekend, Randy Newberg and I, and, and somebody asked the question, what's the one thing that will bring a, an elk hunter closer to success than anything else. And I, you know, it's so hard to say because you can say physical conditioning and you go spend all summer, you're just in complete beast shape. You know, you're in elk shape, you can run an elk down, but you get a, a shot at 40 yards and you haven't shot with your bow all summer and you blow it right there. Or, you know, maybe you can call elk really, really well and you call in elk after elk, but you set up your, your knowledge of setups is low. So you call in all these elk, but you don't get a shot. There's just, it's a combination of so many things that just have to come together that it's really hard to, to pick one. But I think that there are probably two areas that I would, that I would say do more to increase your efficiency than maybe anything else. And, you know, the first one is just being aggressive. And I think that too often myself, when I first started hunting and, too often, too many other hunters are just too passive when it comes to 
hunting and, and especially calling elk, uh, it's really easy to uh, not want to push it, not want to blow an opportunity. And I think that that's the thing that runs through a lot of our minds is if I get aggressive, I might blow this opportunity. But the thing I think I've transitioned to in my thinking is the more aggressive I get. And again, this isn't just careless taking risks all day, you know, walking into an elk with the wind blowing right at them type of a thing. But the more that I push the envelope in locating elk, in approaching elk, in setting up on elk, in calling elk, the more that I the, that I get aggressive in that, I think the more opportunities it actually creates for me. And so I think, you know, maybe gaining more confidence in calling so that you're able to be aggressive and, and feel comfortable getting a little more aggressive with the calling. Uh, the, the more that you push, I think the the more opportunities you're going to create. If you sit back and, and just kind of wait for opportunities to happen, there'll, there'll be a couple that come along. But I think uh, the more opportunities we can create, the, the more options we have or the more opportunities we have for success. And then the other one is, I think, in the setup. And, you know, for an elk hunter, uh, hunting with archery and calling elk, the setup is that critical point where I think most of us can get into elk. Uh, most of us can locate elk with a bugle, and a lot of us can close the distance and get in close. Uh, but I think that setup transitioning into the calling sequence is is really where uh, I think most bow hunters need to improve and need to uh, just add a little bit more knowledge to the setup. And so, you know, we get asked a question all the time. I had a bull across the draw from me and I sat over there. I was 200 yards from him and we bugled back and forth and I tried the aggressive calling and he just wouldn't come in. Well, there's a reason for it. He's protected where he's at. You know, if the thermals are coming up the hill, he's protected right there. And he's, he's letting you make that move to come to him. And if you drop straight down in the bottom and start up, he's, he's busted you with his nose or, you know, on the flip side, the elk's down below you in a basin and won't come up to your calls. Or you're down below the elk, he's straight up above you, and he's just bugling and running. And just understanding all these things that the elk is, he has the advantage there. So when you set up, if you can get on the same level as the elk and take away those advantages and make him more comfortable and, and more likely to come into your setup. Uh, when you set up, setting up in front of a tree or in front of brush instead of behind it and opening up more shooting lanes Yes, you're exposed, so now you have to be more careful with movement. You have to uh, just draw your bow at the right times, but you're also going to have a lot more shooting lanes than if you were set up behind that brush, or maybe that elk has to walk into one specific shooting lane, and that's your only option for a shot. Uh, setting up with the, the collar back behind and using a collar shooter setup so that that collar has to bring that bull into the shooter setup, and that bull has to come to a point where he's in the in the shooting lane before he can see where the caller's calling from, because once he can see where the calls are coming from, he's going to stop. He's just not going to keep coming because he can see the area. He can't see an elk, and he's he just doesn't feel safe coming any closer. So, picking those setups wisely, picking shooting lanes wisely, uh, getting on the same level as the elk—all of these things that really there's so many things happening, but those are probably the most important things to pay attention to and. And there's so many more things that go into a into a, a great setup, but I think those three, you know, getting on the same level, setting the collar up in the right place, and then picking good shooting lanes where the bull's going to be comfortable to come in, feel like he's protected by his senses, but he actually isn't. Those 
those three things, in addition to being aggressive, I think are probably keys to elevating that success. Uh, whether you know whether it's somebody that's successful once in a while or somebody that's never been successful, I think paying attention to those things will elevate that success even more. I think the, the setup piece is something that's worth. You think of a football team, right? They're they don't they don't not only know a play, but they know how to run it in different situations and in different scenarios, and they do all that before game time. Like this is pregame stuff, this is film, this is like a team meeting, and it's almost the same way with like if you're hunting with a buddy, shooter collar setups is understanding and having that pregame pregame scenario of kind of the if this then that because there's not always time to figure that out so the more you can understand in advance maybe some different variables of oh maybe if it's side hill maybe if it's coming this way maybe if it's going that way so that in the moment you can both get into a smart setup is is so ideal that's something i've struggled with in the past is knowing yeah i know what a good setup looks like in general but right here right now with these variables we need to know what to do. And so I think that that would be really helpful. Definitely. And that's really, I mean, our our whole strategy, we have to adapt to locate elk. We have to hike a lot of miles to locate elk and get in on them. But we can do that. I'm, I'm confident that if I hike enough and research and scout enough and just I'm comfortable in, in going into an area blind and being able to get into elk. From there, though, it's, you know, I think that that critical gap from locating the elk to drawing your bow back and getting a shot at the elk, that's where all the magic has to happen. And I think if you simplify it and say, okay, the elk is going to be relying on his nose. I have to pay attention to thermals. I have to realize that if I get on the same level of the, as the elk, it's going to limit his ability to use thermals. It's going to make him comfortable because he doesn't have a physical disadvantage. He doesn't have the visual advantage. And he's really, you know, going to be a lot more apt to just come in. And then when I set up, if that caller is in a position that's going to just pull that bull right through the, the shooting lanes before you can see where the calls are coming from, if I've picked my shooting lanes wisely, I mean, those three things really can become the key to, to consistently getting an elk into a shooting lane and, and hopefully getting a shot. Next up, we have Trent Fisher of Born and Raised Outdoors. Make elk hunting, make elk killing become a habit. And that's just a, you know, people are going to go, wow, that, that's yeah, nice, nice call there. But it's, it's so true. It's so true. It's anything you can develop a habit in. But I think this starts way, way earlier. I think this starts way before the hunt. I think this starts in preparation. I think this starts years before possibly. Whenever I'm shooting out there, and, and this is what I've learned in just the last little short while, I always used to shoot targets because that was the cheapest thing to buy, you know, and you just have a bag target or whatnot and and just shoot at that bag, shoot at that dot, right? Always consistently looking at the dot, and pretty soon that dot is what you're hunting when you're out in the woods, and then you see the side of a giant elk at 20 yards, and you could easily shoot over his back by 10 feet, right? And it's like, okay, that, that's, that is not the scenario we're looking for. So um, it, it comes in preparation, I think. I think so. I, I actually I recommend people getting a deer target or some kind of a, a silhouette, a, a, a foam target, whatever it may be. Um, but and looking at those places on an elk, always pick a spot to shoot. 
always, always do that. But it even goes back further than that. Every time I'm practicing, I am, I go through these things and a lot of people have things on their bow. A lot of people have stickers or whatnot um, on their bow that, that say certain sayings or the sequence they need to go through, have a sequence that you go through every time. So where, when you go out there, you've, you've killed that elk. When the scenario does come up, when that, when the opportunity finally arrives, you've already killed that elk. You've done that thousands of times, a ton of times. You've already done that. So what I'm saying is you get in your setup and you say, okay, I've got my feet. I, what I always do is I clear all the brush around from my feet right off the bat in my setup. So if I have to move, if I have to pivot right or left, it's not going to crack a bunch of brush. So, so I'll be noisy. So I clean out my feet and then I get my grip on my bow. I have an arrow knocked, obviously. I'll get my grip on my bow, and then I'm going to start picking out yardages all around me, looking. Okay, that's 20 yards. If he comes in off that trail over there, that looks like about 35. And use your rangefinder. I, I like to judge yard. I do better sometimes at judging yardage a little bit um, in the moment. Um, but everybody's different. But have your rangefinder. Click on a few things and uh, get that done. And so in your mind, all these things are already done for you. I think, and, and that's the, that's the big key is as far as making it a habit to do that every single time. And so, okay, I've already checked off that I've got my stance. I've already checked off that I've got my ranges and your next one's going to be your anchor point. Bull comes in anchor point. Your anchor point is going to be the same every single time from all the practice that you've put in. Right. And check that off the list. I'm solid. I can draw back. I can hit my anchor point every single time. There's no doubt there. I'm looking through my peep. I'm looking at my pins and then it's judging. Okay. That's where he is. And that's where he's going to come through. And then the third one is, and that this comes back to calling. It comes back to some of the other questions that we've answered in the, in the previous segments is, is have that call in your mouth all of the time. So when that bull gets in the spot where you need him to stop, Stop him. Throw out a little cow call and practice all this in the preseason. Put calls in your mouth when you're on the range. Practice stopping the bull. And it, it's, a lot of times it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the most perfect call. As long as you can blow arrow across to read, you can make a you can make a sound. And stop him. And then everything is execution, right? And that's why it goes back to this whole silhouette target, the uh, McKinsey targets or whatever that you'd see at an archery shoot. Um, or just even a paper silhouette of an elk that you can print off or buy from the store and put on your bag target to where I'm picking a spot on that animal. And I've done it a thousand times in practice in my backyard. And I know right behind the crease of the shoulder that I want to shoot. And I find that with my bow and then, and then a smooth release and shooting. And, and if you do the, if you do these things already, but before you get out in the woods, and I think everybody, to make yourself successful, to make uh, killing a habit, you have to have all this down before you even, before season's even even close. And so when you go out there, it's it's just like fishing. It's confidence. You've got to be confident in what you're using. you got to be confident in the spot that you've chosen. Um, it's just like that is what I believe. And so it's something that you've already done hundreds of times in your head. It just seems like second nature when the real thing happens. Yeah, you're going to be amped up, but it's going to take a lot of those variables out of the scenario of pulling the pin over his back and just jerking that trigger and letting that sucker fly, you know? So it's, it's, um, 
killing is definitely a habit and uh it's something that you know after you do it and you see these hunters that they it, it takes some time for them to kill an elk and it takes a few years and then pretty soon it's every other year and then pretty soon they're killing an elk every single year and um it's because they they have a habit they they they've figured out the the uh scenarios that they need to do and the mindset they need to get themselves into when the moment of truth comes up And finally, Paul, the Elk Nut Medell. Yeah, for myself, I think just as I got older, I got more patient. You know, I, I, I didn't think everything was just rush, rush, rush and, and run after everything real quick. So it was definitely becoming more patient. And, and, and I like trying to think what the elk are going to do. And, 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 and I do this because of so much experience. I'm being around them and, and blowing plenty of opportunities and you start getting a feel for things after that. But I think the biggest problem that I see hunters uh, do, even when I, you know, when they're with us, they don't know how to read a situation. And, 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 and in other words, you know how you have to know how to read and react. And that's what I like to call it. Read and react, not read and react the same, uh, elk sounds for every single elk because you're going to lose so many of those it's crazy and so if you can read the mindset or his attitude the emotion he's 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 showing you that is how you now tailor what you're going to do next to that elk as an individual and and i basically have it broke down you know for earlier season i like going uh in other words late august first of september i like going to the advertising I like going to the advertising, to the raking, to the rattling. Like I say, playing on their curiosity. I, I like doing that a lot when they're just not saying anything. But once it starts hitting that fourth, fifth, sixth, and on, I now go to the slow play. And and you know, the, when you start going over the slow play, this new version I put out, I didn't even cover a, four, a, a fraction of it. I really show how and when to intervene with it, how to make it work for you, how to read what the bull's doing so you know what step to take next. And so you go from the advertising to the slow play, and then I have what I would call you know, a bull on full tilt or bull full sand. In other words, he's already aggressive. He's already there. He's got a hot cow. He's being harassed by multiple bulls. So now you can get aggressive with that bull. So see, you're going to either find one of those three things when you hunt elk. You're going to find the early season one. You're going to find as it goes up where the slow play is so effective. Or you can go to where you get into bulls and they're just screaming everywhere. So when I get over to that bull and I want the herd bull, I have to use a herd bull tactic. If I want one of the satellites that are hanging around because there's multiple bulls bugling, I'll go right in there and plant the seed with the slow play. I'll call him right in with that slow play breeding sequence. Absolutely. But not the herd bull. He's not going to leave that hot cow to come over to it. So when you want to kill the herd bull with the slow play, he cannot have a hot cow. You can't have it he, or he won't come. So, but when he has a hot cow, it's pretty evident because there's multiple bulls bugling everywhere so now i need to go in tailor my calling to kill that herd bull i got to go in and call his cows away that's what i have to do and so and generally what i'm going to do with that is i will give two or three cow sounds and give a roundup bugle right over the top of it he, and that bull knows i'm talking to the cow and i'm trying to pull the hot one out you know because there could be a bunch of them over there a dozen and i don't know which one it is so i'm trying to get her to come over to me 
And so that's what I'm doing. And as soon as I do that, the bull's going to come right over the top of me. And I'm already ready for him to cut him off and try to call a gal, the cow back over to me again with a couple more cow sounds and right into that short roundup. You see, and, and as I, you play the game, you heat him up. Bam, 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 bam. And man, here he comes. Because now I'm creeping in as I'm doing it. I'm trying to get inside the satellites. So if they're 150, I need to be at 100 or under. I'm the squeaky wheel that needs the attention. And this is what I'm going to do with him. So really, I'm only doing three things when I'm out there. I need to read and react. Do I go to the advertising? Do I go to the slow play? Or do I go into my aggressive mode because the bull is already hot? That's really all I'm doing. I'm not really doing anything else out there. So when you look at those three things and you start mastering those sounds or the rattling or whatever it takes to to bring those about, that's all you have to do. And I'm applying one of those. I'm not, and it's not a coin flip. I read bull, and I go, okay, this is my this is the the section that's going to give me the best odds to put this guy on the ground. And again, it's it's up to the bull on which one of the three I'm going to choose. Do you ever hunt country where you? have more visibility on the elk pile or are you pretty much always in the timber and always kind of needing to pull them in oh yeah i've spot and stalked elk i've spot and stalked them i've killed them you know at an on an, an ambushing them on trails i've killed them over water yeah. and i killed them i was over just calling. curious like let's say for example you you visibly could see we had that scenario in the in the previous segment about not quite understanding what distance a bull might be at how do you play that and all that but like let's say you visibly spot an elk how does does your strategy change at all based off of oh let me try this call see visibly how he responds or do you pretty much stick to one of those three three scenarios you just described or does that visual element change anything for you well you know those three things you know there's there's nothing written in stone on them. It, it, it's just guidelines. You can always inject, you know. But for the open open country elk that are standing in the open, I don't even call to them. I mean, when you're sitting there glassing and you go, oh, there's some elk over there. Are you trying to call them with your binoculars? No. You're going to go now cut the distance. Oh, there's elk over there. So now I'm going to get over there where they're at. I have to find a route they're not going to see me or win me. That's what I'm doing with a bugle. So if I see them out there already and yeah i'm bugling and stuff i'm not going to call to that bull because i already i see him he's right there that's all i'm trying to do is find them with the bugle and then i cut the distance get in there the same as if my bugle was binoculars i'm just cutting the distance and getting over there i will not do anything with that bull at all until he gets into the cover that's exactly what i'm going to do i do not mess with him i will watch him where he's going to go in and once he goes into the cover now i own that bull no question in my mind, that bull, I'm going to have a really good chance of killing him because when people see a bull out in the field or, you know, in the openings, in the sagebrush, wherever you're at, and there's cows around, people want to kind of get back and hide themselves a little bit and they give some elk sounds and they think the elk should come trotting over to them. And, and of course, in most cases, the elk don't. But what they do do is usually call back to you or they'll give a sound. And what they're trying to do is get you to come out. They want you to come and join them. You're over there giving elk sounds, whether it's a bugle, maybe the bull's telling you to stay away. The point is, is that you've given yourself up, and if they do ask you to come out, you're in trouble. Real elk really will come up and end up venturing over and meeting up with them. You can't do that. So you've already got a big uh, strike against you right there. You've alerted them. This elk's not doing what they're asking, and the, usually the more distance is created by the elk between you and them. 
and eventually you probably aren't ever going to get on them and work them. You'd been better off just to leave them and hopefully they bedded somewhere where you can see them and try to spot and stalk them. But basically when elk are in the open, I don't call to them. I wait for them to get into the cover because I can, I, my, my options are just so much more. If a bull or cows are inviting me over for my sounds, I can actually do that. I can now cut the distance. I can now get in there. I mean, I've had bulls cow calling or, or me cow calling bulls, and they're inviting me over. Every sound I make, they're calling me, calling me. I've gotten into like 50 yards. I couldn't get any closer. And it was like if I try to do anything, they're going to see me or, or, or something can see me. There's too much of an opening. And as soon as I get to that distance and he calls for my – when I cow call again and he bugles for me to come on over, I scream right over the top of him. So now all of a sudden out of nowhere, I've injected a bull sound where I was using a cow sound all the way. And I'm letting him know that's why I can't come any closer. A bull's come in over here. And so, you see, when you're when what I'm saying is, is I started with one of those three topics, but I had to change real quick because of the terrain. I couldn't get in anymore. I couldn't go to him. I couldn't do what he asked. So sometimes, yeah, you got to get creative out there. I mean, what if I ran in there and there was a satellite standing there and I didn't even know it because he never made a sound and he went running off. And I'm like, crap, you know what I mean? And when elk hear other elk just go scrambling and running like crazy, usually you're in trouble because they know there's a threat. This is why they live. This is, you know, their survival. And so once you bust this bull, man, you got to know what to do. And normally when another bull comes in and he runs another bull off, you'll hear him give a hard grunt and a scream right behind it. And he's trying to chase the bull out of there. He wants him out of there. So he's pushing him. So that's what I'm going to do. When I, I'm already ready for all this, I know exactly what's going to take place because I've tripped over these things before. And if I happen to run into that bull like that, I'm just going to hit him with that hard grunt, scream at him. And as he runs, the bull, real bull, knows why that bull's running. But now I have to act fast and get over to that bull. Now, if I happen to hit a cow doing that, you could bugle at him. But one of the best things I found is as she goes running, I like cow calling rapidly and running right at the bull, just like she's running. And they're just, meow, 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 and I'm running right at him. And he's not running. He stays, he stays right there. Here comes another cow just like the other one was running up there. So, see, I got all these things in my mind, like if this happens or this or this, I'm trying to overcome them. It's not like, well, I'm just going to do these bugles and these cow calls. See, that's not reading and reacting. That's just making elk sounds out there, whether you have any idea what they mean or not. It doesn't matter. And it, there's plenty of guys out there that are excellent with their elk calling, but they don't know how to communicate with the elk and that's where they go wrong they don't start using the sounds that elk expect to hear under each one of these individual encounters i hope you've been enjoying the series guys and benefiting from it i know that i have we have one more episode here for elk week and tomorrow we have kind of a rapid fire q a so there's so many questions that don't fit into the four topics we've talked about that we wanted to get to our round table and get their thoughts on the best week to hunt elk and all different types of quick fire questions so that's coming tomorrow Tune in for this last episode of Elk Week.